Welcome to another edition of Starship Geek. We're talking about The Sandman, Episode 7, entitled The Doll's House. Episode 7 begins with Dream looking through a book entitled Rose Walker. We flash back to 2015 in Cape Kennedy, Florida. A young black boy hands his older sister some toys to pack in a trunk. Their mother is heard arguing with their father. She arrives to say that she spoke with the father, and they decided that it would be better if the mother and Rose went to New Brunswick first to get settled in while they leave Jed behind with the dad. Rose doesn't like this and says she will go talk to him. She says what happened to shared custody. The mother tells Rose to, Rose to say goodbye to Jed and wait for her in the car. Rose tells him she loves him, and he begs her to take him with her. Just gonna, you know, start the episode off nice and depressing. And, uh, yeah, Rose is going to be an important person this episode. Desire calls out to despair. She says she is always ready to listen. Despair asks if the prodigal has returned, and Desire says the dream has managed to escape. Despair says the dream has suffered through enough these past hundred years. Desire says the dream still acts like his realm is better than theirs. Despair says whatever Desire is planning will not work. Desire says there is a dream vortex, the first for a long time, and it's a woman. The vortex has no idea what she is yet, but she is bringing everything and everyone to her, just as a vortex should. And that vortex is Rose Walker. Rose, now older in New Brunswick, says that she found a new photo of Jed, and she is on the phone with what I first assumed to be the police, but instead it turns out to be a PI. Turns out leaving Jed with his father may not have been the best of ideas. A woman enters and says the car is on its way. She asks Carl what he is doing there. This is always an issue with the Sandman, is that you have to get up to speed really quickly because they're going to throw a bunch of new characters at you each episode and you have to just kind of figure out where they play a role in this here. So we got Rose Walker who is the Vortex. I don't know what that means yet. We have this woman that walked in who apparently is taking Rose somebody somewhere. And we have Carl who is a friend of Rose and he is going to be house-sitting. So apparently Jed was given up for adoption. And Rose is trying to track him down. The person on the phone is someone helping her find him. And we have somehow gotten from shared custody to having one child up for adoption. So, I guess we'll figure out what happened there. Rose seems to be informed that the woman will not be helping her as she has not paid her bill. Rose says that her mother's estate should have covered all this. But her mother spent all her money on the apartment that Rose is living in before she died. That's how you get one of the kids being up for adoption, is if, you know, the parents are dead. Now, I don't know if the father is still alive or not, or if he just was like, oh, the mom's dead, oh, I'm done with this kid. But, yeah. Rose says she intends to get a job to pay for the private investigator as soon as she can. The other woman in the room says that Rose has to go because the company is paying her £250 a day to fly out to London for a week. She's doing a family history interview with the Foundation. Apparently, Rose's mother 
was important for some reason, and the Foundation wants to learn more. Rose asks the woman if she still thinks about Hector. The woman says that as Hector and her mother would say, life is too short not to enjoy business class. So, again, here's another just name thrown out there, and you have to, I guess, figure out what their role is in this. But Hector is the husband of this uh, woman, Lyta, who is with Rose. Lyta was hired to go and get Rose and bring her to go and meet with somebody to have a conversation with. That's like the oversimplified way of doing this, but that's what we're going with. So they both have kind of a shared experience of losing someone close to them. The Lyta lost her husband, Rose lost her mother, and her brother is out in the wind right now. Abel, of Cain and Abel, talks with Lucien about the Vortex. He says everyone is talking about it. Well, Cain is talking about it. Lucien is doing a census of every remaining resident of the Dreaming. Abel says the only people here are the houses, Cain, Abel, the bottle imp, something nasty in the basement, oh, and Goldie up on my shoulder here. Abel asks if Lord Morpheus knows about the Vortex, and Lucian says not to worry about it. Lyta, the woman with Rose, talks to a young man on a plane. She tells him that Rose hasn't been sleeping much because she has been dealing with her mother's estate and her missing brother. Lyta says that when you lose someone, you realize it's not gravity that keeps you to the ground. It's knowing you are someone's sister or brother or daughter or, in her case, wife. Lyta says instead of being home, she is on a plane speaking to her dead husband in a dream. We see a flight attendant walk up to Lyta, who is, of course, asleep on a plane, and a flight attendant wakes her up to fasten her seatbelt. Back in the Dreaming, Lucienne has completed the census and tells Dream that she has accounted for 11,062 residents. She says there are some new entities, but three of the major arcana are gone. Dream asks her to name them. She says one of them is Galt, a nightmare who she doesn't trust. Dream says that she's a shape-changer, so it's in her nature to be untrustworthy. The second, of course, is Corinthian, which we know, and the last one is Fiddler's Green. Dream remarks that that is strange. Dream is in control over his own dominion and is always so reliable. Lucien says it might not be his fault for being gone, and instead might be because there is a vortex out there. Samus says it's true that, uh, and he says that the endless are forbidden from taking action against a human if it is not a threat, and right now Rose is not a threat. He says that should she become one, it might help them with their other issue, as the Vortex will draw the stray dreams to her. Lucienne says that it's dangerous to leave the Vortex to her own devices, and says someone should go to watch over her. Morphe says it's best he doesn't leave the Dreaming for now, and Matthew the Crow says he will go. What Matthew sees, Dream will see as well. I like the fact that while they were discussing these three people, we see there's like three large stained glass windows behind them, and every time she mentions one of them, a like stained glass representation of them appears in one of the windows. Rose wakes up in a car as Lyta gets them to Sussex, England. Apparently she really isn't sleeping well because this is her second nap of the day. Mr. Holdaway, an attorney, greets them. They're at a home for the elderly, which his client resides in. Holdaway leads them to his client, and they meet Unity Kincaid. Unity shows her a dollhouse and says that she never got a chance to use it. It was a gift for her 12th birthday. 
but then she came down with encephalitis lethargica. And we actually see a scene from the first episode where she was she went to bed and never woke up because Dream was captured that night. But once he escaped, she and many others woke up. And apparently, while they were asleep, they didn't die. Like, she's like 120 or something like that at this point. Unity says that while she slept for a century, she had amazing dreams. She met a man with golden eyes and had a child with him. When she woke up, she found out that none of it was real, except for the part where somebody slapped a baby into her. And we're just going to gloss over the fact that while she was asleep, for over a hundred years, somebody raped that poor woman. She says that that girl was adopted by a family, and that girl had a daughter of her own. Unity is the mother of that girl, and that girl is the mother of Miranda, and Miranda is the mother of Rose Walker. Rose is talking to her great-grandmother. Lighta excuses herself so that Rose and Unity can talk. Well, that's an interesting way of finding out that you have another family member. And also, you're not going to talk about what happened while that woman was in a coma? We're not going to? Okay, we're just we're going to move on? All right. Okay, just checking. In Huntsville, Alabama, three people meet at a bar. It's their responsibility to come up with a new guest of honor, since the family man cannot attend. An older man asks the woman and a younger man for suggestions. The younger guy says Moon River, but this is rejected. The man says Candyman? The woman says they need a marquee player. She asks who they all would pay to see. And they agree they would all pay to see the Corinthian. These three people are hosting a serial killer convention. The Corinthian is a serial killer. The man says he reaches out every year, but he never gets a response. The younger man asks how old the waiter is. And the woman says 17 or 18, he's probably too old for that man. They reason that the Corinthian must not be the original one since it's been over a hundred years. She shows them a recent victim of the Corinthian, and the man wonders what he does with the eyes. She says they have over a hundred serial killers coming to this convention, and they should copy the Corinthian's work so that he'll take notice. The older man says they have a code, and they don't do this. She seems unconvinced and heads to the bathroom. Corinthian arrives at Rose's house, but finds Carl there instead. He says he is a headhunter, and he's there to offer her a job. Since Rose is away for a week, Carl offers to have the Corinthian come inside for a hot shot of his jizz. The three killers then gush over the Corinthian's work. The older man says that if someone were doing his work, he would track that person down and kill them. The woman walks back up and says that they have to leave since they have a plan now. Also, the waiter isn't coming back, and she pulls his eyes out of her pocket. Well, at least we didn't get a name for that one. But, yeah. So, she just murdered somebody. We know that these three are serial killers. And their big idea is to potentially piss off a serial killer that takes people's eyes Rose hears someone call to her. She walks through a door and finds the fates. The fates warn her that she must beware of dreams and houses. They, sh they say she asks the wrong question, 
and if she had asked the right one, they could have warned her against the Corinthian, told her about Jed and Morpheus. Lyta flips on a light switch, which causes the fate to disappear. This is back to the whole, you know, you get one question. And her question was, huh? <laughs> so, yeah. Not the right question. Not, not the right question to ask. I don't know how she would have known to ask about Jed or any of those things, but yeah, it's the fates. What do you expect? Lyta tells Unity that once Rose's mother died, she and Hector adopted Rose. Lyta explains that her husband died a year ago in a car accident. Lyta says she had great years with Hector, and Unity says it's never enough, though. Unity says they need to find Jed, and she offers to employ Rose to help find her great-grandson Jed. She will pay for everything. She says that her family owned Kincaid Sugar, so they have plenty of money. Unity says she will not go with them, as she would just slow them down. But she gives her a gold annulet to wear. And Rose says, you know, I had a dream about on the car right over here about an annulet. Carl and the Corinthian finish fucking, and Carl never questioned why this dude would wear sunglasses while balls deep in him. But, you know, he's hot, so I guess that's fine. Corinthian says he wants Rose to come work for him, and he wants to put his old boss out of business. The Corinthian is apparently the type of dick who has a Google alert on himself, and he gets an alert about a killing of a waiter. Corinthian says he has to leave, and he was just about to leave without killing this dude when Carl stops him to offer him round two. He says this time maybe without the glasses. Corinthian slaps his hand away, and they kiss. Corinthian throws him out of the bed and asks Carl to tell Rose to call him, and he leaves. And he leaves Carl alive, which is kind of shocking. So... Maybe it was because he got the alert about the waiter that he didn't kill this guy. Maybe it was because he liked his dick. I don't know, but Carl should count himself lucky. Lucien informs Matthew about Rose and what he needs to look out for. A man with a pumpkin for a head walks in. Yep. Yeah, that, that happens. And asks if it's true about the vortex existing. I kid you not, this man with a pumpkin for his head is named Mervyn Pumpkinhead. What's more, he's voiced by the legendary Mark Hamill. Lucien tells him that Morpheus is already monitoring her dreams. She also says that Matthew is going to watch over her. Mervyn says to look out for anything unnatural. She tells him that it will manifest in her dreams and then present in the waking world. Matthew, of course, is like, you're a talking pumpkin, I'm a raven. What about this is natural? He's supposed to look out for any shock or trauma, and Merv tells him to inform Lucien first before dreams since she secretly runs a place anyways, and Matthew takes off for the waking world. Rose walks up to Cape Kennedy, Florida, and a man named Hal. Hal owns a B&B, and they will be staying there. As if things couldn't be any creepier or crazier, out walks Ken and Barbie. Now, not the Ken and Barbie, just two attractive-looking people whose names are Ken and Barbie. They are heading out to House Hunt, and Hal says he told everyone her life stories so they, they would help. Two women dressed up like Lydia Dietz, named Chantel and Zelda, also offer to help. 
They live upstairs and across the hall from where Rose and Lyta will be staying. I would almost think that all four of these people are dreams from Morpheus's realm, but apparently they're just kooky neighbors. Chantel says they have the largest collection of stuffed spiders, and Zelda whispers in her ear if Gilbert is also invited to the dinner. Hal says that nobody knows if Zelda and Chantel are sisters, lovers, or what they are. And we see that Matthew arrives outside. This was a bit like an episode of American Horror Story. Because it was like, here's this like wacky guy who runs a B&B, and he's got these two people, Ken and Barbie, and he's got two witches that also live there with them. And there's a strange guy who lives in the attic. It was a bit much. But I get it. It's supposed to be kind of whimsical, but I don't know. It was it was just, eh, okay. Rose and Lyda meet with an adoption agent. She says she cannot give out Jed's information since she has no right to it. Rose asks if she can be a fucking person for once, and the woman says, Look, if I tell you where to find him, what are you going to do then? Are you going to tell this 12-year-old boy no when he asks if he can come live with her instead? Like, does she have health insurance, a place to live? Now, here's the thing. That's all good. That's, that's, it's good of this woman to ask her those questions. But the answer is yes to all of that. Rose was just told, you're on a mission to find Jed. I have a wealth of money. We can do this. But Rose is just like, I guess not. Like, you literally got told, money's no option, go and find him. And then you're like, oh, well, I don't have any money, and I don't have a job guess, and I don't have a place to stay, maybe. I don't know why Rose is acting like she's not prepared to bring her brother home with her, like that's what her whole thing has been. The woman says that Jed's foster parents are a friend of her dad's, and they're getting $800 a month, so Jed is doing just fine. Now, that's all fine and good, if this woman has actually like seen what's going on with Jed, and $800 a month is not as much as you'd think it would be. And there's no telling if that $800 a month is actually being used on him. Rose and Lyta return to the house. Ken and Barbie offer to take them out for a drink. And she asks if they should wait for Hal, and Chantel says he's already at the bar. We then cut to Hal, dressed in drag, singing for the crowd there. Rose gets a call from Unity. Only when she answers, nobody says anything. Two men walk into the alley and say that they'll be they will be friends with her. They say that they will then take her jewelry and phone. Another man wearing a top hat arrives and says that the lady intends to keep her belongings. He helps her dispatch the two men and introduces himself as Gilbert, the man from the attic. Gilbert proceeds to take him home, and Matthew goes back to Lucienne and says, Look, if Rose's dreams are anything like her waking life, it's going to be hard to tell the difference because... This woman's life is bonkers. Matthew says she is in Florida looking for her missing brother, and Lucienne looks in the book and says that Jed not only is missing from the waking world, he's missing from the dreaming as well. We cut back over to the three killers meeting at another diner, and the younger one says if one copycat killing it doesn't get the credit's attention, maybe two will, and he places a set of eyes on the table. The older man says, maybe three will, and he places a Tupperware container filled with a set of eyes next to the other. 
The younger man says it's hard to get the eyes out without popping them. And the Corinthian says the trick is to use the thumbs. He says they must have been trying to get his attention, and he asks why he shouldn't kill them. They offer to have him as the guest of honor at a collector's convention. Since he is the current Corinthian, maybe he can give the keynote speech. He laughs at being called the current Corinthian, and she says he doesn't look 130 years old. He does like the idea of a group of like-minded people, though. He asks if he can bring a guest, and when he, uh, where he comes from, they call that person the Vortex. So that is the Corinthians' big plan, is he's going to bring Rose to a convention of serial killers. Sure that'll go off great. Rose wake up as she hears talking outside her door. Dream says that Jet Walker is still in the land of the living, but he cannot find him. All humans are connected to the Dreaming, so breaking the connection would require knowledge and power. Lucien says the last nightmare he had was of Galt. Dream says that maybe Galt severed him from the Dreaming, and Lucien says that he is not just any person but the brother of Rose Walker. Right on cue, Rose Walker walks up to them, and she asks what they know about Jed. Pretty sure she's not supposed to be there, but she somehow is in dreaming with them. But I guess if she's the vortex, she probably has those special powers. Now, uh, obviously, her just being close to him doesn't automatically mean he's dead. But it's probably not great that she's there. We then cut to Jed running down a road when a car pulls up. His aunt Clarice, which is probably not his real aunt, obviously pulls up, and he says Uncle Barnaby threatened to lock him in the cellar. He tries to get Clarice to go with him and get away, and another car pulls up. Uncle Barnaby arrives and asks what is going on. Clarice says that she found Jed, and she's just bringing him home. Barnaby says that Jed is coming home with him instead, and he makes him ride in the back, but not the back seat, in the trunk. This kid's life is great. Jed gets shut in the trunk as the episode ends. This was a far more like cliffhangery episode, and it left you really wanting to watch the next one, which is exactly what the show is supposed to be doing. We have, I don't know if this is a nightmare that he's having, or if this is really happening, but either way, we do know that Galt, as we heard in this episode, is most likely responsible for whatever is going on with him and for why he can't have like normal dreams. So I'm sure we'll get more in on Galt and Jed in the next episode. And obviously, we're going to try to figure out how Rose was able to just appear in the dreaming. And uh, yeah, it was it was a good episode. It was fun. This whole serial killer convention is rather interesting. And the Corinthian now has three serial killers with him, which he can either choose to use them to his advantage or just straight up murder them. So that'll be fun to see. Thank you for listening to this one, and I'll be back again soon with another. Bye-bye.